Hello, hello, everyone. Uh, it's me, Marlon of Marlon's Corner. Long time no see. Uh, I'm back, y'all. Uh, I've crawl. I've crawling. I've crawled back from the depths of COVID. COVID had me in a grip, and I have returned uh, at seventy percent. Uh, capacity at this point in time. Uh, I do apologize for the wait, uh, but hey, I've been coughing and sneezing and hacking into the pillowcase, uh, and here I am, uh, heavily medicated uh, and uh, full of caffeine. So let's let's do this, y'all. This is Marlon's Corner of the Podcast, where we give you some reviews in under 30 minutes so you can get on with your day and enjoy it like you should. Uh, we're going to start things off with a couple of Netflix things. We're going to talk about Comey Can't Communicate. We'll go on to White Hot, the rise and fall of Amber Combrey and Fitch. And we'll uh, do a little talking about a Black Lady sketch show. And we'll wrap with a topic on COVID. How topical. COVID. But let's let's just dive right in as opposed to just kind of string this along any longer. Uh, Comey can't communicate. Uh, if you're on Netflix, it is on there. Uh, it's about a high school girl, Shoyuku, Shoyuku Comey. Uh, even though she's beautiful and popular, homegirl has, uh, some would say, severe anxiety. And because of that, she is um, selectively mute. Um, she's able to communicate, but because she doesn't do so, she finds it very very difficult to express herself to friends. And because of her anxiety, it makes her uh, just difficult to approach people. And if you approach her, it really makes it difficult for an individual to read if this person is interested in even getting to know them. She, at times, would just stare blankly at people if they try to talk to her, or she'll uh, stutter severely, and people are kind of like, great, I'm just going to leave this person alone. Maybe they don't like me. They don't want to communicate with me. And at face, it is a very cute show. It's very cute, and it it's very slice of life. You know, you can see where there's also bits of fan service here and there, but where I think this show shines is in its authenticity when talking about anxiety uh, in kids. There's a scene where Comey's talking to uh, her friend, um, her, her classmate, uh, and he's trying, he, he also is socially awkward and doesn't really know how to make friends either. Uh, and in their interaction, uh, she just describes to him um, just how difficult it is for her to speak and how difficult it is for her to get to know people um, when she herself uh, doesn't really open up. And there's this beautifully animated scene where she uh, says that her goal is to make a hundred friends. And then all of a sudden her classmate Tadano tells her, well, I'll be your first friend and we can get you 99 more. Uh, and it's just so beautiful the way that uh, they shot this animation. You, you see mostly her eyes because again, since she doesn't speak, her eyes are the most prominent thing on her face. They even draw her mouth as tiny as possible because she barely uses it, but her eyes are the most expressive features on her face, and there's just a lot in them, and so all the animation is about her eyes. Uh, and it's a really cute show, and I think as someone who was an educator and someone who uh, also had uh, some childhood trauma that uh, caused a communication disorder, uh, this show hit 
very squarely close to home. Um, I've worked with kids who have come from backgrounds of trauma or just backgrounds of just severe anxiety. Uh, and it's very difficult for them, of course, to communicate, but it's also difficult for them to make friends. At such, an, at such a young age, a lot about friendship is expressing, I want to be your friend, or what do you like to do? Oh, I like to do that too. You know, it, it doesn't come until later on when you've, you know, gone through verbal communication that you can pick up on nonverbal cues as an adult, hopefully. Uh, but at such a young age, uh, even in high school, if you don't communicate, people just tend to just pretty much ignore you and have their own idea about you. And so to see it uh, portrayed in this way was really, uh, it's heartbreaking, but it's also beautiful to see uh, this community uh, pretty much gather around this young woman and uh, find out how they can advocate for her, find out how they can accommodate for her. And at the end of the day, really strengthen her her resolve to speak more, to practice speaking, to practice communicating, to practice being appreciative and verbally telling people how much she appreciates people, you know. I can recall growing up and, you know, I was uh, in the adoption agencies. There's definitely a lot of different homes going on, different foster homes. And so a lot of my speaking uh, was just pretty much dried out. Like I just was tired of all the different homes, all the moving. And so I just chose to be to be mute as opposed to having to tell a story or talk to people because, hey, I'm not going to make new friends. I'm going to move somewhere else. So there, I was a very quiet kid growing up. I was very resolved to just staring at people, to just kind of not really communicating. And that resulted in me growing up with a severe stutter, almost like this character. So you can see why this absolutely resonated with me on such an intense level of like, oh my God, I remember having to go to speech therapy because I didn't talk a lot. And so I just wasn't used to being as vocal and the stutter came in because I'm super nervous. And so now I decided, you know what? I'm not even going to talk to anyone because this whole situation is difficult to do. I'm just going to sit back and chill and just call it a day. So just it, it was it's such a good show. It will be so once you watch it, you'll realize how cute it is. And you'll also see how great the animation is. That also was a plus. And I'm so excited to know that season two has been shot. You know, currently overseas in Japan, they are absolutely running this show. I think they're on their fourth episode or whatever, but it's going to be coming over here. And season two is what I'm looking forward to. I cannot wait for this young woman to get 100 friends. Uh, I cannot wait to see her speak more words. And I think that's a testament to the show where you and the characters become proud of this character for either speaking up or going out of her comfort zone to be heard. So you'll feel proud of this imaginary character as she goes through being uh, selectively mute to uh, being able to communicate at a grocery store what items she needs and uh, how her order may or may not be right or wrong at a restaurant. So check it out. Comey Can't Communicate. It is a beautifully shot show. Uh, I'm going to give it uh, around an 8 out of 10. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So check it out. Comey Can't Communicate on Netflix. All right. And next up, we have White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch on Netflix. Um, this whole documentary is going to date a lot of people because uh, I'm not sure if the kids go to Abercrombie and Fitch as much as uh, the 90s and aughts kids used to. Like. I recall when Amicrabi and Fitch was like, you needed to go there if you wanted to be cool. Uh, but also it was for a certain select group of kids who wanted to be cool. 
And I think that when, by the time I left middle school and went into high school, Abercrombie was pretty much in my community seen as like the white people clothing. Uh, and uh, that would kind of give you an idea of what kind of middle school I was a part of. Uh, but yeah, so Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, we get a chance to look at what it was like uh, operating this company, how they conquered the malls. And they were like the scene of uh, the 90s kids. They were an all-American brand and all these other buzzwords. Really what it was is um, it was a company that catered to mostly white people, uh, which honestly is not surprising if you're a person of color. I, I think you pretty much got the gist of that from the models that were on the posters on the walls, and you got that from who was operating behind the cash register. It really wasn't uh, a good secret or the best kept secret. Uh, people of color kind of called this from the beginning, like, oh, this seems to be a very white store. Like, again, that's and we're saying that knowing that, you know, there's a gap across the way, but the gap at least has the nerve to hire black and brown people. But this was really surprising to to no one to hear that Abercrombie and Fitch uh, only wanted white people to to work the registers and uh, be seen in the store. But hey, if you live under a rock and you didn't know that, you're in for a surprise, I guess. This documentary was really interesting to watch, um, not just because it's about how absolutely horrible this company was run, but what was interesting is to see how the company chose to react to criticism, um, which I honestly think reflects how most companies react to criticism that happens to fall along like race issues. And this this show, this uh, company maybe wrote a playbook that a lot of companies follow. Um, there were several, you know, lawsuits that were uh, involved with Abercrombie and Fitch and their employees. Uh, there were civil protests. Um, there was a protest where apparently Abercrombie was really out here selling the most racist shirts. And I think one shirt, for an example, was a shirt that was designed to look like a Chinese to-go box. And on the to-go box on the shirt, it said, two Wongs make a white. And they printed that and they shipped that and people bought it and they were real into it. And wouldn't you know, Abercrombie was surprised that people found it racist. And they hit you with, uh, quite honestly, playbook a playbook play that is still used today where they say, hey, that can't be racist. We had an Asian person in the room when we showed everyone the shirt and they were like, it's cool, print it. That was their, that was their... <laughs> That was that was all they, that was all they needed to know. Great, the one or two Asian people in the room. We don't know if they're. We're not going to say if they were Chinese or not, but they were Asian, and they were like, "That shirt's good to go." We're not going to um, realize that it might be uh, really uncomfortable to put uh, a very small racial group on the spot. Uh, where their job could be on the line if they tell us they don't like the design and ask them, do you like it or not? We're not going to talk about that. Instead, we're going to just put our Asian employees uh, under the bus and say, great, they said it was okay, but I guess people disagree, so we'll get rid of the shirts now. Um, if only that was that was it. If only that was it. Then, of course, they get hit with more issues, with, with more lawsuits around how they're um, – 
letting people go who uh, aren't white in certain stores. If, uh, if there's a certain minority ratio that is too high, they'll get rid of that minority ratio to make sure the white ratio is high enough. They'll do things like, great, uh, the black employees can only work the night shift at the cash register. That way, you know, a big crowd can't see them. You know, they'll have uh, folks from the headquarters do store visits. And if they do store visits and they see that there's like a weird ratio or not attractive people, uh, people get a pink slip. So this was a company that was pretty uh, open with their policy of like, great, we hire good looking people. So if you aren't hired, you weren't good looking enough. And of course, it's capitalism. So when they do get a consequence, it's pretty lackluster. You know, the consequence they got was great. Um, we're going to allow you to pay these people to stop pursuing the lawsuit as long as you do a good faith effort to um, have an inclusion and diversity initiative. And if you are someone who has seen um, the Gucci controversy with the blackface or literally any other fashion line that has gotten in trouble for some race things, this sounds familiar to you. Amber Crombie and Fitch, uh, let's say they may have done it first. Uh, they hire, of course, a black guy to come in and be their chief diversity officer. And they had this, had this individual on the show, on the documentary, uh, and he was very, um, he was very calculative in how he chose to respond to a lot of the questions about his position and about the uh, benchmarks that Amber Crombie was able to or not able to hit. And by that, I mean, he didn't give a lot of good answers. His, his, his responses were very corporate of like, I was hired to be the diversity officer. We hired a few more black people and we did our best to have these meetings and talk about things. Um, but, you know, when push came to shove and they asked for actual tangible data, you know, he wasn't at liberty to discuss. But thankfully, the documentary did their due diligence and we were able to see that literally Amicron and Fitch didn't meet any of the benchmarks that were set. And it's important to name that the benchmarks that were set for Abercrombie weren't required because, again, they just had to do a good faith effort, meaning if they didn't hit those numbers nothing would happen to them. There was no negative that would happen to them. There was no incentive. It was just on paper to say, hey, we have an inclusion and diversity officer who's working to uh, right these wrongs within our company. So, hey, this is, again, not surprising for a lot of people. And I think what's really great about it is it gives you an insight into this specific company, but you can also see how this is similar to a lot of other companies that get into hot water regarding race issues. What do they do? They pay off the people who are suing them so they can drop the lawsuit. They hire a few black and brown people to uh, key positions that are uh, about diversity and inclusive work. Um, and then that's just it. You know, there's really no need for them to push issues or change anything all that's required of them is their black and brownness uh, or um, their LGBTQness. So they can say, great, hey, we have XYZ person um, in response to uh, whatever 
Twitter or social media handle called us out for something. We have someone that we've hired to address it, but let's be real. We're not gonna actually do anything about it. This person is going to be hired on and we'll have a couple of quarterly meetings, but we're not really going to change much. Like we're a multi-billion dollar company. Come on now. We're not going to do that. And that's what this, that's what Abercrombie did, you know, up to the last day of the CEO being in charge, uh, they fought tooth and nail to be exclusive. And I think that's what I think is the best part about this whole uh, documentary is that at no point in time did Abercrombie lie to the consumer. And by that, I mean, they told you, one, we're an all-American company and they made sure that to advertise as many white people as possible. So they, you kind of knew what that meant. And two, they made sure to say that they are an exclusive brand, meaning their sizes that they were in there, they didn't go above a certain size. They're an exclusive brand and there are only a certain people could wear them. They didn't lie to you about it. They put it out there and they let it be known. We mean these people. And whenever they were sued, you know, they would, of course, be like, hey, we didn't know that. But literally, they kept it the same. They're like, we advertise to these people who look like this, who are this size. And that's what we do. And I feel like that level of honesty, as <laughs> as aggravating as it is, is honest, you know, which is why, again, a lot of people will not be surprised to hear that Abercrombie and Fitch uh, did these things because, they didn't lie to you about it. They pretty much were very open about it. If anything, we were able to see in the documentary very, very personal anecdotes that just added to what we already knew. I think one of the more interesting things about Amber Crowley that I found out is that uh, the photographer who was behind all the photography for all the portraits and the photos really had, uh, he had a specific theme in mind. Uh, and once I say it, whenever you see, you know, any old photos of those Abercrombie models, it's going to click like, oh, that makes sense. Uh, and the thing that he had in mind are these like Roman or these Greek paintings of like naked, muscular men wrestling. It's very homoerotic. And so that's basically a majority of the Abercrombie photos is these very muscular men who are like, wrestling other men or like posing in these provocative poses and you're just kind of like oh this this makes sense the photographer is not only submitting photos to amicrami but he's also submitting photos to gay magazines as well he's you know hitting both markets with his with his with his photography and it's like ah i see now i see I see why this was appealing. I see why people were like, oh, yeah, this is <laughs> this is my store. That was interesting. That anecdote was interesting, as well as the additional anecdotes of sexual harassment from the photographer towards these young, muscular men who were like, this guy was really creepy to us. And if we didn't want to go back to his little yurt or his little hotel, we got cut from the roster. So that was definitely going on. That was interesting and surprising. But as far as the civil rights lawsuits uh, and uh, hiring a black guy to be the diversity officer, uh, it was pretty typical play to play of what happens nowadays. If anything, if you've seen the recent episode of Atlanta, it's an it's a 
an immediate it's an immediate correlation. Uh, we're on the recent episode of Atlanta with Paperboy and uh, this Gucci stand-in company that make that made a Central Park Five bomber jacket uh, gets called out for racial um, gets called out for, for being racist and being insensitive. And their first move is to hire black people to help help the company write itself because you know they the company could never be racist. You know, they, they, they hired all these black people to come and be the face of their inclusion and diversity efforts. Uh, but of course, we know that they are only there to just be the face, to take the brunt of any any external accusations. Like, oh, wait, we can't be racist. We have all these black people who are our diversity officers. There's no way that's true. You don't know us that well. And Yo, it turns out Amicrom was doing it way back in the day. And uh, everyone's just taking note, you know, and they're still afloat. Amicrom is still afloat. Uh, they, they, they now have uh, a female CEO who has decided to make them an inclusive brand. So what do you do that now that you're inclusive? Well, you do uh, the next best thing. You Instead, you go from naked men playing rugby in those Abercrombie jeans to smash to an all-white background with women of all different sizes and different shades wearing Abercrombie jeans because now we're inclusive. So, you know, you go from one angle to another. You know, that's, that's kind of what fashion and capitalism is all about. What can I sell you? And it makes sense now. Like, great. We can't be exclusive because America happens to be pretty, um, pretty plus size. So if we want to make money, we got to make some plus size clothing. So, of course, let's let's go out there and be the most inclusive rainbow flag waving BLM hoodie wearing company we can possibly be to get that money because that's all we care about. So if you're going to watch a show. That um, won't surprise you too much, but we'll give you little nuggets of like, oh, damn, that happened. Check out White Hot, you know, just check it out with your friends who maybe grew up in uh, in the 90s and remember walking into that dark ass store because all the windows are shuttered up and it smells like so much cologne. It's just riddled everywhere and it's playing that loud EDM music that's just like thumping everywhere. And you're just kind of like, great. How much is a shirt? Forty dollars. I'm good. I'm going to go over JC Petty's uh, White Hot on uh, Netflix. Check it out. Uh, I'd give it, honestly, a 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10 only because if you have enough people with you, it is truly entertaining. And I think uh, it'll be a fun ride for you all. All right. All right. Now, folks, we're going to go over to HBO Max. Um, we might go there more because Netflix is going to increase their prices because... Because we're going to go Netflix. I mean, HBO Max right now is also serving me a lot of great shows, uh, specifically a black lady sketch show. Uh, their third season is starting out so strong. I mean, season one um, was great. Season two really cemented the fact that this is an amazing show. And season three thus far is like really cementing this show uh, and the zeitgeist. I think the sketch comedy show that works so well, uh, that is so unapologetically black in the fact that they have hired like 40 plus black celebrities for this season alone that are so recognizable, that are household names and their sketches are so funny and so interesting. Uh, and I just cannot, uh, thank Robin and the crew more for presenting us this sketch show every year. Uh, I wish it was more than six episodes, but I know that they do the six just to keep us wanting more. 
they need to win an Emmy because they keep getting nominated and they won an Emmy for outstanding picture editing for variety programming, which is still good. But they absolutely deserve an Emmy for outstanding variety sketch series, as well as outstanding directing for variety uh, series. Um, they just, they've done an amazing job with the cast that they have, and every episode just leaves me laughing and chuckling, and they're all so memorable. Robin Thede is just amazing. Uh, so is the, an amazing cast of women. And um, if you haven't started watching Black Lady Sketch Show, check it out on HBO Max um, before, you know, b- before they get into another season and you're behind further. Check it out because, you know, they're far more affordable than Netflix is right now or will be in the future. So Black Lady Sketch Show, it's like a 10 out of 10 series, honestly. It's so good. Yeah, I said it. 10 out of 10 sketch series, y'all. You'll enjoy it. You'll have a fun time. It's so good. I mean, they have like a drag episode every season. They have a black hotep episode every season. Uh, it's just, it's so much fun. And even if you aren't black, check it out. You're going to, you'll learn some things you can share at your job. I mean, you shouldn't go to your job with the explicit expectation of talking to a black person about the show specifically. But if it comes up in conversation, you can at least share that you have seen a few episodes or two. Okay. Don't come in there just like, yo, black person, do you watch a black lady sketch show? Because I do. Don't leave that. Don't leave with that. You got to wait for them to open that door. Then you'll walk on through it. Okay. Trust me. They would prefer it that way. Your friends that are happen to be black. And lastly, folks, we're going to talk about uh, COVID. And uh, mostly because, y'all, uh, I got to say, I think I have absolutely been slacking on all of my uh, all my COVID protocols. I feel like there's a certain point in time when COVID was scaring Everybody. I remember I would always do the the full alphabet washing my hands. Uh, I'd wear gloves in stores. Uh, I was truly all about protection. You know, I come home, take off my outside clothes, put on my inside clothes, go about my day. Uh, just a certain level of care that I took during the height of things that I realized that now, uh, d- darn near two years into this thing, I have absolutely been slacking on all of that. I'll come from the grocery store, you know, I haven't, you know, I'll no gloves on. I've been touching all the stuff in the aisle. I'll come home. I'll sit on the couch and my, you know, clothes I walked around in, sat down at work in, you know, I'll just do a quick wash and rinse of my hands. Don't even do that the full alphabet any, any longer. I'm thinking, great. It's all good. You know, 20 seconds here, done. I'm out of here, you know, go on throughout my day. Uh, and I just realized that once I did catch COVID, uh, that man, like I, you know, I was slipping out in these streets, you know, my fiance had COVID and I'm thinking, you know what, as long as she stays in that one room, I'm going to be Gucci. You know, I'll just wear my mask whenever I'm, you know, around her, but you know, I'm not going to wipe any services down. You know, I didn't open any other windows. I didn't have any other care uh, that I sh- that I honestly would have had had it been like 2020. I fully would have been like, great, you can't leave that room. I'm a double mask up, glove up. We're opening every single window in this house. We're Lysol and Febreze in every surface, every 30 seconds. Uh, I think it's just, I think at a certain point, like I had gotten the fatigue of like, well, you got it. So, you know, I'll do the bare minimum, but I'm going to be all right. You know, it, it's fine. And then once I got it, I was like, damn. I could have avoided this. I absolutely could have avoided catching COVID had I been 2020 Marlon who was on top of it. 
you know? And so uh, it just really brought up this mindset around why I think a lot of people are just absolutely uh, just losing their minds when it comes to not only mask wearing, but just general care. I think at this point, the, the fatigue that people are feeling is just a, like above and beyond anything else. I think unless you work in a school environment or a health environment, your mindset is like, cool, I'm going back to the way things normally are. Um, if I have to wear a mask, I will, but I'm not going to go above me. Yeah, you know, I know folks who uh, were single and, and dating during COVID. And like the number two-ish question you would ask is like, you know, do you have the vaccine? And then you follow up with like, great, like, do you know who's in your bubble? Like there was a certain level of care at that point because it was early COVID that you had to like fully flesh through like, are you vaccinated? Do you have a bubble? When was your last close? Like there was an extra layer of, of checking in on people at that point in time that I don't really see happening as much now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like of the friends that I know who are dating, um, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll like ask if they're vaccinated, but like there really isn't that additional layer of like, when was the last time you were outside? When was the last time you were in an environment of like, you know, 30 or more people? You know, those questions are slowly uh, kind of going away as people get back to the way things are. You know, you got your vaccine, you're feeling real confident, like, yo, I'm good. You know, I got that bulletproof. I'm out here at the club doing my thing. It'll be all right. Uh, but I am. But, but if you haven't like watching the news, uh, California, especially the Bay Area is getting hit with this re- this, this surge that's going on. And I definitely think it's because folks like myself were out here thinking, yo, like it can't still be going on, right? We ain't still got to be out here doing the full alphabet, you know, frontward it's fr- frontwards and backwards anymore, right? We can kind of just do things normally with our, with just our, our mask on. It's fine. And uh, that's not true. Uh, we got to still stay on it. You know, if anything, I am grateful that, um, I'm not working in a school. I'm pretty sure I probably would have gotten it if I had worked in a school earlier. Um, you know, I worked at a, I worked at a high school for about four years. I'm glad that that is in the past, and I'm glad that I'm in a job now where I'm mostly remote to begin with. I, it just made me realize how difficult things could be if you know I had my school job where you know I would definitely be needed on site. Uh, and, you know, if I was a parent, you know, this having to like keep the kids home and having to quarantine the kids and having to be extra precaution, just a lot of these thoughts come up and come into my mind, you know, and um, having individuals in my life who are, you know, have their immune system that is compromised, you know, it definitely took me aback of like, man, like I could be letting people down, I'm slipping. And so my goal is to try to get back onto not as intense of a level as it was in the past, but to get back into the system of like really being mindful of, you know, my environment. You know, I think there's definitely a super long time where I was so cognitive of how many doorknobs I touched throughout the day or how many objects I had to like, or how many ATM buttons or things I had to put my hands on. And now I'm not even thinking about it. Now I'm just out here just touching all the buttons, swiping all the things. Uh, But after catching COVID, yeah, I think I might end up reverting back to just being very cognitive of my environment, of the space that is there, of how rampant and wild germs are right now and just really tuning into that and the fact that, you know, if it isn't COVID, it's, you know, a basic uh, flu or a basic cold that can also get me. So just being very careful, very mindful, I think is important. And I hope you as well are being safe. You know, it's super important. You know, we, COVID was not great. You know, (laughs) I, I remember 
for like four days straight, just sitting in bed. Just I felt like there was uh, a brick on top of my brain, just like smushing my brain down. I felt like my eyes were going to pop out of my head. Uh, my nose was runny, but also stuffed. My throat was sore, uh, had the shakes, had the shivers, the whole nine. And I remember telling my fiance, like, if, if it gets to day five and I'm still feeling this way, we might need to go to the hospital because I don't know if I can do this for five straight days. Uh, I might, I might pass out. But thankfully, you know, we didn't get to that point. The, the symptoms definitely have lessened. They're not fully gone, but it definitely was a reminder of me of like, hey, y'all don't want this. It's not fun. It's not great. I'm glad I'm vaccinated because I'm sure it could have been absolutely worse. Uh, but yeah, definitely take care of yourselves out there. Um, continue to be safe. Be mindful. Uh, check in with people. Reestablish those bubbles, y'all. Reestablish those bubbles. Who's in it? And if they're hanging out with anyone else and just be really careful because it just takes one friend or one individual to be out there with somebody, they get caught slipping, they bring it back and it's like dominoes, you know, my D&D group, like dominoes, one person gets it, boom, boom, boom. And it just, it spreads like that. So just be careful, be mindful, take care of yourselves, take care of your loved ones. Uh, thanks for tuning back in. I, I will absolutely be posting more uh, just as an apology for uh, just me ghosting y'all. So I do apologize for that. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to have you listening. Uh, hit me up with uh, some of your favorite anime. I've fully went through my anime list. I caught up all on Attack on Titan. Y'all, I was at season one. I powered through all those episodes to the last episode, even read some of the manga because I just didn't want to wait any longer. Got through that. Got through Jujutsu Kaisen, My Hero Academia. Uh, didn't get to the thousand episode of One Piece, but I'm 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 in the 800s, y'all. So let me know what's your favorite anime or what's your favorite show to watch while you're sick. Uh, and I got a couple more days in my quarantine. I might have time to catch that and check it up. Uh, but with that being said, have an amazing day. I appreciate you. You're awesome. You're an amazing individual. And I'll catch you next time in the corner where we're talking about all things fun on Mon's Coin. Bye. This episode of Marlin's Corner was produced in Richmond, California.